What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Camps with difficult people. Yeah. As a guide, you deal with that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, I, I would way rather walk away with a par hunt than an awesome people yeah. than kill a giant with a douchebag. <laughs> it's it's different. It's a funny deal. And money has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I deal with a lot of millionaires. Like, and those are the guys that are difficult. Mm-hmm. Like the one to 20 mil guys. They're douches. Really? But you get those guys that are 350 mil plus. Yeah. It's just another tag. It's another opportunity. They just want to go have fun and meet people and see how you do what you do. They want the experience. Right. Uh, Just as much as a trophy quality animal, but they want the best experience possible. Right. Right. Yeah. They're like, well, if I like it, we'll do it again next year. No big deal. Yeah. Like, it was only nine days. Let's give it nine more next year. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I would imagine for guys like that, that nine days that they have to actually do something is so important for their mental health. Yeah. Um, to decompress out of whatever their industry is and what they have going on. Well, you got to imagine when you're making that kind of money, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, from every direction. Right. Yeah. Not even just your everyday stuff. I can't tell you how many people reach out to me asking me to approach so-and-so about hey i want to put my business up for sale you think he's interested mm-hmm. it's like no like you're like hey man that's I, not I don't my deal business with other people's money <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. so and that's just the thing like that's when you have money that's what comes along with it yeah it's every facet everybody wants a piece it's not fun no couldn't imagine couldn't imagine so you used to be a straight edge guy. Yeah, yeah. Skater. Uh-huh. Can we talk about Yeah. Rattle cans? Oh yeah. We can talk about rattle cans? Yeah. You used to do graph. Uh-huh. Train yards? Uh-huh. <laughs> almost only trains, yeah. <laughs> only almost only trains. Yeah. Not not a lot of like anarchy in the city type stuff and I was never a throw up guy. Mm-hmm. Like it was all peace stuff like sick pieces uh-huh. and for people that don't know about graph and what a piece is that's like an entire i guess you could call it a mural yeah right be a mural it'd be a just like any artist would call a canvas a piece or a yeah yeah i mean it's it's just bigger and you were doing it early though like yeah 90s yeah when all the was there graph? There was graph magazines back oh, yeah. then. Yeah, not a ton of them, but there was a few, and they were all out of like Chicago, yeah, L.A., New York, and you'd have to get them like at weird hip hop shops or like there used to be things called the B Boy Summits. Did you ever go to any of those? No. Yeah, there'd be these B Boy Summits where all the graph heads and break dancers and everybody get together. Me and my little skate cronies, we'd all go show up. And it was fun. And there'd be like what like wars too between graph artists oh yeah for sure because i know for me in in the bay area in california i grew up with a ton of guys that were deeply involved in 
different crews and yeah the lifestyle of graffiti that, art that the bay was where two of the b-boy summits were that i went to like, really oh yeah okay yeah the bay i was, bet you that we would probably know some some of the same people maybe i wish that i if, could remember my memory was that good we yeah. probably would. i wish i could sit here and remember <laughs> yeah what their what their names were yeah not their not their legal names but that was, that was a good times that's a cool place the, the bay was a good scene yeah. back then I don't, I don't know how it is now as far as graph goes yeah, well any of it like i don't know yeah the whole world's a, god i think a they were right now was there a crew called lords uh-huh yeah a bunch yeah. of them were lords guys yeah yeah one and guy was lords super were good super incognito was a mailman what but he was probably one of the sickest graph artists out of the bay area huh that's interesting yeah I wonder if I knew his stuff. You knew his stuff. I yeah. promise you, you knew everybody. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they did a lot of train stuff. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, more inside the cities, but I would see their stuff quite a bit. Where I grew up, there was a tunnel down at the end of my street that all the up-and-comers, you yeah. know, all the high school kids would go do graph battles. Uh-huh. You know, crossing out other people's stuff and or going over it and yeah. bombing over it and yeah. you know the whole <laughs> the whole deal. Yeah. What? So, what was that like for you? How'd you I, get into that? I just like I, I was always kind of an artist, but then I like just the kids I skated with got into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, and it just fit for me for a while. Thrasher magazine, Alien oh, yeah. Workshop. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't. Well, eighteen. I, I don't remember if Alien was around that much then. Back then, maybe I don't recall. I feel like there were the all these early companies to mid '90s. Like, yeah, there were all these companies that came out, like girl skateboards and stuff. It just seemed like they were all popping on the scene when I kind of faded away. Oh, okay. But yeah, when you faded into the black, you're yeah, like, I'm, I'm just out. a few years older <laughs> than you. <laughs> I gotta clean up my life, get a job. Yeah. Yeah. Things became real and serious. Right. And then we got into hunting. Well, before we get into that, what, so what was that like for you? Like, just living that lifestyle. You were you were also a, a straight-edge kid. Uh-huh. You know, minor threat. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of um, thrash and, oh, yeah. and punk rock and, yeah. and all that, which is, for me, it's great to hear about that because I can relate to a lot of that. Oh, I, I think it's great for our industry i mean this is a hunting podcast i I think it's good to let kids see that you don't have to be a redneck you don't have to like be involved with rodeo and just certain things that are involved with this demographic um i think a lot of us come from different backgrounds the diversity uh uh-huh i I think it well rounds us so I, i like talking about it and yeah salt lake had a really good train yard well, and they had they had a big like straight edge scene, a lot lot of lot of skaters. Snowboarding was still kind of new, early '90s. I remember being on the the lift at Brighton, and we like I was sitting there. I jumped on the singles. This kid gets on. He's like five foot nothing, five foot two. And then I get talking to him, and it's uh, Zach uh, De La Roca, mm-hmm. the. Uh, Rage Against the Machine guy. Mm-hmm. But back then, I think he was in a band called Inside Out or Outside In or 
something. I mean, it was a long time ago. I was like, oh, I was at your show last night. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I think it uh, it diversifies us a little bit, you know, because I didn't, I didn't get into the hunting scene so till my late 20s. Mm-hmm. And then almost straight archery just fell into it. I mean, I hunted as a kid uh, with my grandpa a lot, uh, just old school rifle type stuff, which is great, um, different. But um, I, I think it just helps our background, mm-hmm. you know. Gives us a different life edge, too, mm-hmm. especially in, in modern times, because I feel like exactly what you said. Majority of the new people that are coming into hunting that are coming from different diverse backgrounds as far as what they did in their youth and their upbringing. Um, it's not all Western way of life kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people might not find that relatable as to where, you know, shredding on their skateboard and throwing a piece on a yeah. train. Well, I, I think it's important that we learn that we've got to embrace that or our sport's going to go away. Yeah. And we can't have that because our animals are here because of conservation. And it's going to be a long story to try to get the rest of the world to understand that and be on board with us somewhat. But you look at guys like Rogan, you know. I mean, he was anti-hunting for a long time. He even tried meat, did all this stuff. Now he's huge proponent, huge voice for us. Yeah. Has, you know, has his own little kind of look into it. But, I mean, anything well-rounded has to have that kind of different vantage point. Mm-hmm. I, I love having that. I love having people like him in with us a little bit. You know, and and to speak to that point with Joe Rogan as a hunter's education instructor for the state of California, majority of the people that come into my class, you know, one of the biggest questions I ask is, are you in here for archery or are you in here for rifle hunting? Usually 80% of the class raises their hand that they're in there for archery hunting and then talk to him you know in the break or at some point you know or mention it during the class how'd you hear about it oh joe rogan's podcast no kidding and i mean that's bay area california you know but you gotta think when someone's reaching an audience of that level Mm -hmm. you know or a lot of people that come in are tech you know kids out of tech industry that don't come from a long tradition of hunting in their family or anything like that and they're getting into it because they love joe rogan's podcast and anything that Joe says, you it's know, crazy. is really going to push him to be better, work harder, work smarter, whatever it may be. What and a footprint. Holy crap. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. The trail that that man has cut in 10 years of running his podcast, which is crazy if you think about it, because he got his start on Tom Green, which he talks about all the time. Uh-huh. You know, on, and I don't know if you remember the Tom I, Green show on MTV, yep. you know, back when MTV was actually, I don't know if they're still the around. Music TV. Yeah. yeah, or whatever they're doing now. But, you know, it's crazy to think that he went over to Tom Green's house and did a podcast and Tom Green was like, you need to do a podcast. And then Joe was like, I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm I remember do watching the first Joe Rogan podcast. Like, he, it was on a computer. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, wow, there's bubbles. Like, it was the weirdest thing ever. I, and I don't remember if it was who was with him, if it was Red Band or it was a weird. There's two guys, there's Joe and this guy. I was like, oh, Rogan has a podcast. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, because you, like, go to one of his original or one of his first sponsors and his first 
hundred or few hundred episodes was the flashlight. Uh huh. And he would just promote oh, at least a hundred episodes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and it's it's funny to go back and look at it back then and I be never, like, wow, Joe Rogan's talking about a flashlight. I forgot about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but to him, that's no big deal. Yeah, just, he doesn't care. Yeah. You know, and it's probably because the particular background that he comes from and, Uh you know, he's, he's more okay with that as to where some other people would be like, oh, that's risky business. I can't, yeah, I can't touch that for advertisement. Yeah. You know, but we're in a world of, of sex sells. Well, I, you know, it's just a more open train of thought and he's always been about that. Mm -hmm. So to him, I bet he didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So train yards bombing and, uh-huh. you know, you, you kind of felt at some point you were like, man, I, you didn't want to pursue a career in being an artist. No, at, at one point I like, I decided I, I shifted gears onto the, my job into a night shift position, which really brought down my social life and then got married and even cut back even more. And, and at the time, I I got into dirt bikes pretty heavy, till I had a really bad wreck. I was probably twenty six years old somewhere. Were you hunting at that time yet, or not really? Not really. And and that's when I like walked into the local shop. Um, I met Kevin Wilkie, who was like I Kevin don't know, was he, Gold Tip. This was before then. He was just working at a local little shop. Kevin's two or three years younger than me. Now he's worked his way through Hoyt, Gold Tip. And he's at Kuyu. Now he's at Kuyu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he he's, couldn't be a nicer person. He's an amazing person. Yeah. Like, he, that's my boy. Um, he's the one that taught me to shoot. I said, dude, I want to get into this. I want to do this. And he's like, awesome. This is the bow. Mm-hmm. Let's shoot. And he set me up. So were you going to a pro shop or were you going to uh, uh, a big box store? No, it was a little local store here. It was in Payson. It was called Payson Sports and Trophy. Mm-hmm. It, a big shop for then. You know, there was a couple gun shops in Salt Lake, but really there was a big gap between probably American Fork and here. Mm-hmm. And Payson was a hub for that. Um and Kevin, like, had the whole basement archery shop. He was in charge of all of it, and he was, like, 23 years old or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's so important, especially for new archers, instead of going to big box stores, to be going to their local archery shops. Like, in California, Absolutely. I go to West Coast Archery, and mm-hmm. they've taken care of me since, you know, 2010, pretty much, when they first opened their doors, whether it was fielding phone calls and jackass questions from me to yeah you know setting up my bows and, uh-huh. and my dad's bows and my brother and and all my friends but going to and supporting a local business as a hunter and a local archery pro shop instead of a dick sporting goods or a, a big sporting goods retailer goes such so much further agreed i not that i mean i want people to have access no matter where they are and if that's their only place go good go yeah but on that same note, I mean, you're going to get a lot more attention, a lot more feedback, a lot more custom care to your bow and to your body from a local tech, you know, and, and even if they're not the greatest tech in the world, you can work through the issues together. He'll help you figure it out. Mm -hmm. 
because I've been to some crappy bow shops too. <laughs> and, you know, because I, I like to go all over the Midwest and hunt, and you always have problems. I, you know, you're re- replacing a bowstring, like something happens. I go to a lot of bow shops, and there's a lot of places where they're not great. But between the two of you, you can figure it out. You know, it takes a little trial and error and do whatever, but the local shops always seem to go further and have a little more care. Mm-hmm. And here in Utah, there's a ton of them. I mean, they're so tight on dealerships. One town can't carry the same bow as the next town. So you have to split, like, the Hoyt dealerships, every other city going up through the corridor up here. Really? That's weird. But all of them have great techs, and all of them have great bows. And, you know, archery is a funny thing. Like, all bows, you got to shoot the one that fits you, Right. Because everybody shoots a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Everybody's so, hand's different. And here's a lot different because you probably need to go to three shops and shoot ten different bows. Oh, really? Before I'd say pick one out. Right. See, super fortunate in the Bay Area for West Coast is, as they supply Matthews, Hoyt. They can you know, do all of them. They, yeah, they've got a, a full wheelhouse of so many different bows. So you can go in there That's and nice. you can shoot everything from a, a bear bow to a Matthews and a Hoyt. Yeah, and really get the feel for each individual bow and On the quality the same range, which is nice. Yeah, wh- yeah, and the quality that when it releases in your hand, if it's too much vibration, you know, if it doesn't sit right, you mm-hmm. know, and all that. Because there is, it's every bow. When people ask me, you know, what bow do I shoot? You know, I shoot a Matthews. Matthews to me sits the best in my hand out mm-hmm. of any bow that I've ever shot. Um, and my best friend shoots a Hoyt. And he can't get a Matthews to fit comfortably with his body, period. Huh. Cannot do it. You know, and, and so he shoots a Hoyt and I shoot a Matthews, but it's exactly what you're talking about where each individual person is different and shooting shooting plenty of different bows before you make that kind of a purchase is extremely imperative to the decision making. Well, and even after you shoot them all and pick one, you might flip flop. Mm-hmm. My first bow was a Matthews. Mm-hmm. No. My first bow was a Hoyt. My second bow was a Matthews. And the reason I love the Matthews is the fit in my hand, but what I didn't know is the valley messed up my shot a little bit because of the way I shoot. Really? So I shoot better with a Hoyt because I have less of a hard back wall. Mm-hmm. I have to keep my tension a little tighter. And so I do better with a Hoyt, especially in a hunting scenario, whereas, like, I love the feel of Matthews. Yeah. It's a great bow. Yeah. And I'd never tell anyone different, yeah. ever. I think it's good. I love them all. Right. So you fell off your motorcycle, or you fell yep. off your dirt bike. Yeah. And what happened? Oh, it collapsed both lungs. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I think we had 18 fractures in my ribs, clavicle, shoulder, and something to one of my vertebrae. I was a mess. I was in the hospital for a while. They had to put the chest tubes in, drain my lungs. Holy shit. It was a mess. And... Then I had That's why I don't ride dirt bikes. <laughs> yeah. Like, ser- seriously. I don't ride dirt bikes anymore because of the same thing. Yeah. And it's just, you, you know, you're flying. You're literally flying without a roll cage. Like, it's just your body and dirt or pavement or whatever. Surface you're riding over. Yeah, and I might have a little PTSD, but I, I don't ride them too much anymore. Yeah. Um, but, it's I, you know, that it just kind of, it was crazy, so... I had that wreck. I was in the hospital for nine days or so. I was home five or six days. Then I had this friend reach out. 
he's like, dude, I'm going to look at deer on Lofer. You got to hike it with me. And that's this mountain above my hometown. And I'm like, dude, I just got a hospital. There's no way. And he's like, my buddy Sean's going. He just was in a car wreck. We'll just go slow. I'm like, you're crazy. All right. You know, so we got up super early on a Friday night. It was like one in the morning. So we went to Summit by six. Uh, and that other guy was Sean DeGray that runs the TAC, mm-hmm. Total Archery Challenge. Mm-hmm. And then Sean teamed up with me to do the DC thing. And that was when we met. And that's pretty much when I started, like, walked in and bought my bow, bow with Kevin. was right there in that era. Just started bow hunting. Yeah. It's the best. And you fell in love with it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And still hang out with all those guys to this day. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what about archery kind of was your deal sealer? Oh, I, I more than anything, just shooting. Mm-hmm. I, I love hunting with a bow. Anyone who successfully hunts with a bow and, and runs an arrow f- through a few animals, I don't think they'll deny there's not much better as far as hunting than that. Yeah. Um, but the just just getting being able to shoot every day i i mean i imagine golfers have the same thing when they go to the range i've never heard that analogy but that's actually a really good one right like you just get to go out hit balls you know work through some issues whatever it is whether you're mentally having some problems you're struggling with or whether you're just trying to fix a crappy swing Mm -hmm. you know you just get sit and plug away for a half hour 40 minutes a day and life's better. Yeah. Just is. I don't that's the biggest proponent. The other is I, I remember rifle hunting and it was in those same years and I had a deer tag. I remember shooting my last mule deer with a rifle. It was probably two thousand five ish. Wow. And I remember going, Huh. Well, that was fun. But I didn't like I didn't get that thump, you know, I didn't get super excited. Mhm. And I I haven't picked one up since. Really? I, I shot a white tail with a muzzleloader two years ago in Iowa. And it, it was the same kind of deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, now he's dead. That's great. <laughs> now it's time to go to work. I, man, with, with archery, I like my heart beats hard. I, you know, I get that buck fever kind of feeling, and I, I just don't get it with a gun. Mm-hmm. And all of it's important, and all of it that's what it takes to make hunting successful right I, I don't look down on any of it and everything's different every facet the long range guys the muzzle loader guys i love it all it's just for me personally i i try to do things a little different mm-hmm. and i love the bow yeah yeah it's an amazing weapon or uh-huh. you know tool yeah amazing tool well and that's what it is that's what they all are for sure so I mean, we're 22 minutes in. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, Brian Carter. <laughs> I, I do uh, elk hunts in southern Utah, elk guide. Uh, this year, running a few in Arizona and Colorado. But for the most part, everyone knows me for running southern Utah. A um, couple of social media platforms. Probably the most effective is the Instagram one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do a few podcasts here and there. And you grew up in Utah? Uh-huh. Yeah, right. central Utah. Just I grew up about an hour south of Salt Lake. Still kind of live down this way. I commute up there every day for work, but other than that, I spend most of my time in the south side of the state. That's awesome. So 
how did you get into where you are today with elk? Because you're kind of a premier elk guy. Yeah. Whether you want to credit yourself with that or not. No, I, I have no know problems with it. Yeah, you kind of know you kind of know a lot when it comes to states and scores and you know figuring out where the biggest bulls in the country may be and having a really good tab on what's going on everywhere um i've always loved elk hunting um i I've mule deer hunted i love whitetail hunting I've, I've done a lot of it but for some reason i you know and most people would agree that elk it's just something different and some people say it's harder some people say it's easier I, I don't care about any of that. I, I like the rut. I like seeing them bugle. I like them doing their thing, but even more so, I've learned to love them just all the time. And where I kind of set myself aside is I kind of learned how to pattern elk. I learned behavior and, and kind of honed in on that and changed how I hunt here. And it's kind of flipped the board for a lot of people. Whereas before, everyone just wanted to hunt in the rut. That was the good old boys. Like Utah caters to those people. They give the rut to the rifle guys dead middle of September. And it's kind of always been hard. Not not a lot of people wanted the bow seasons. And I, I kind of showed people different. I said, no, you want the early season. If you're trophy hunting, and I have no problem saying I'm a trophy hunter. I think it's important just, just like... Uh, meat hunters, I think trophy hunting's got its place. Mm-hmm. It's important we take the older age class out. We allow the younger age class to breed. I think it's important that um, people take pride in like what they're doing. They're they're taking bigger animals. They're they're not just there to kill. They're there to try to do their best for that year. It's it takes a different mindset. And it pushes people to work a little bit harder. We, we're all playing a game. I, it's the guys who play the game by the rules the best that the guys get recognized. And, and there's some kind of respect in that. Because I'm telling you right now, if I didn't follow the rules, I could kill a 200-inch buck and a 400-inch bull every year. Mm-hmm. I could do it. <laughs> It'd probably be in the headlights at 2 in the morning on a field. But I'd do it, but because we're doing it by the rules, that's where you get respect. And when you kind of figure out what the rules are and say, no, that works for me better, like find a way that other people haven't thought about it before, that's when you really start to kind of set yourself apart. Mm-hmm. And so I have no problem saying I like trophy hunting. So, well, what, I mean, for you, what does it mean to trophy hunt? What's your definition of trophy hunting? Because to me, I know that when I go out, um, obviously, I, mostly out of state is where I find my biggest biggest animals. When I go out, I, I don't have a target animal, but I'm hunting for the biggest possible animal that I could find. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I mean, I'm not looking at it a matter of inches, more of just a matter of targeting the largest it, one that's, that's going to exactly be the most it difficult it's and never the most inches. challenging. It, I mean, rarely is it inches. It's taking the oldest age class possible. I don't, I don't care if you're in Iowa hunting whitetails. You, you take inventory of what you have, and you take the oldest age class possible, and you hone in on that one, whether it's a 6-year-old whitetail or a 14-year-old bull elk. You, you kind of, because, I mean, there's trophy units that you're hunting 4-year-old bulls, 
and you're still killing a really nice six point it's probably the best bull in that area and i consider that trophy hunting mm -hmm. it, it you're, you're right it, it doesn't have to do with inches all the time mm -hmm. or or width you know my grandpa always loved 30 inch white or muleys like yeah. Everything was a 30-inch buck. <laughs> and I remember seeing a deer come off the Henry Mountains. It was, I think he was just eight inches wide on his G2s. His mains flared. He scored like 217, which was one of the coolest bucks I'd ever seen. Really? My grandpa looked at him like, ah, I've killed bigger. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> but he's killed wider, and that, to him, that was the trophy. And so everyone's just a little bit different. I think your age class, as far as what I'm concerned with, is trophy hunting. Mm -hmm. Kill us, killing the oldest age class possible, it not only makes the herd healthier, but it f forces your hand to hone in on your skills. Mm -hmm. Makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think you see it the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's just so funny to me the amount of, of pushback and... And I think that the amount of pushback comes from an enormous lack of understanding of what hunting and killing a targeted, you know, mature animal is. Uh -huh. You know, like, that to me is, that's just hunting. That's kind of every hunter's dream, whether they're a meat hunter or not, every hunter's dream is to kill the 210-inch mule deer or the 400-inch you know elk or, or you know right whatever it is whatever's booner right uh-huh you know so that's yeah. that's kind of everybody's goal but everybody's i don't know if you want to call it settling or you know most people don't have the time to sit out and pick through animals in the field and they take their first you know presentable opportunity of an animal in the, in the range or scope that they're looking for i think that's i think that's really important i don't like what i like about whitetail hunting is i don't scout mm-hmm I show up in Nebraska, and I figure out what wind I have, and, okay, this is the stand I'm going to sit, and I just go sit. I sit. I wait till something that comes to the right age, and I shoot it. But I don't have to stress about it. I don't do a ton of scouting. Here in the West, things get a little dicey because you <laughs> wait so long for opportunity. Years, it, man. The demand is, like, way too high. And so, yeah, I like, I... I have a deer tag this year. I, I think I waited 19 years for. That's a mule deer. I'm still not that excited. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest mule deer you've ever killed? Oh, I, uh, I have a couple bow kills in the 160s. I have one I shot with a muzzleloader in the 180s. Um, that's that's my best one. Mm -hmm. And I didn't find him. I found him shed hunting the next year. I couldn't turn him up. So I don't know if I really count him. Muzzle loaders are rough, man. I've been on a muzzle loader hunt and I watched a mature mule deer take five rounds from a muzzle loader before he was smoked and he still yeah. there was still a lot going on. Done the same with elk. At five. Like that's yeah. you know when you're talking two hundred and fifty grain slugs, you know, it's sub one hundred yards. It's it's a hit, but it's a hot hole is what it is. They don't and they're getting better. Um there's companies that are doing better uh, mm -hmm. not, uh the the bullet heads that you know like there's people doing a better job at it now but before it was really just a hot hole passing through them and so yeah i've seen elk take four or five shots that's crazy and it blows me away as a 50 cal gun but it you know muzzle loaders can be tough 
I like them. They're fun. They have their place. Yeah. But even even still, like. Biggest deer I was involved in killing last year is 228-inch muzzleloader buck. Jeez. Yeah. Was, not, not many people even see a deer that big in their life. Brett Sang's stag that he killed last year is just a monster. That's awesome. And it was a stag. There's no nuts on him. <laughs> it's just like, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> just full velvet. I had these really cool, like, uh, bleached out velvet characteristics. Just these, like, bleached lines of, of solid white. Because um, he wasn't rubbing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Velvet. It was, it was pretty neat. Huh. Well, the desert deer. Mm-hmm. Those out here somewhere. Yeah, those, those desert deer get that. It's weird. I, I get bulls that'll, that don't hit the high country. They stay down in the pinions, you know. Mm-hmm. They'll get the same thing. They'll get these white swirls in their velvet. Really? Uh-huh. I wonder what that's from. I, I think it's a water thing, you know. It's just like these maple trees. They, if they, If you're low on iron in those maple trees, they're more of a bright green. Mm-hmm. But when you get a healthy one like that one, it's dark green. Yeah. And it's just a matter of iron. But there's How'd you figure like that, that out? I'd, I'd have a landscaping thing I do on the side. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you made a friend. <laughs> I know. Finally, though, it took... I mean, how long did it take to... Yeah. Um, Maple gets nervous around guys. She lives in a house full of girls. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> huh. Oh, you're such a good dog. Yeah, she does trail cameras with me. Uh-huh. I did, I did an 18-mile day with her one day. And I don't know how many miles that is for her because she runs ahead of me and comes back. That's a long freaking day. 25 for her? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. It's good. We're ready to go. Someone to walk those freaking trails with me. It's a long ways. Yeah. So talking about all that kind of stuff and, you know, hunting for the biggest animal um and i i don't think i've mentioned this in a while but what's your take on um trophy photos gripping grins gripping grins yeah. i love them right <laughs> I, but you also have an understanding I, I, and a I connection underst- to what a gripping grin fully is well I, yeah I, I you know that i can see how a person it's what we were talking about just a second ago a lot of people don't see it because they don't walk the whole process through. They don't understand trophy hunting because they haven't thought it all the way out. Even conservation or eating meat, for that matter, they take it for the simple fact that I don't like cruelty to animals, so I'm not going to eat meat. Mm-hmm. And that's Or fine. I don't like cruelty to animals, so I'm not going to support hunting, but and I'll support slaughterhouse beef <laughs> all day long. That's, well, that's that's the thing, right? Like Fuck. that's That's not working your like thought process through, and... And so, well, yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of like walking them through it a little bit more. And then all of a sudden the Joe Rogan light bulb comes on and like, oh, what you're doing actually is conservation. It does help the animals Mm -hmm. without these processes. These animals wouldn't even exist. There would would not be Buffalo in North America right now had it not been for conservation. And it wasn't a no hunting sign that was staked up in the middle of the plains. No, it was hunters that actually like set aside the herd then realized okay it's growing too big what are we going to do with this like it was actually them forcing a game management plan on each species Mm -hmm. no it's a fantastic thing and if you've done your research and you look into it i mean it's a light bulb 
Like it, it's it's a great thing, but it's getting people to understand that, which is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's cool. I'd, I'd like to see more voices be able to reach out and touch people and explain it a little better. It'll happen. It happens. Over time, uh, the guy who spoke at Total Archery Challenge last year in Utah, whose name is, is eluding me right now. I don't uh, remember. I, I want to say he's European of some sort. Uh, O'Mahony, maybe. I don't know. You don't remember? Uh-uh. He crushed it. I mean, he was he was talking about, you know, how some of the biggest people that are sharing, that are so sharing in the world are, are sportsmen and hunters because we all get together and we're sharing each other, you know, try this, try this method of cooking this right. cut of meat. And, right. You know, all that kind of stuff. And he's got a lot of really neat conservation projects that he's working on and trying to figure out, you know how much wild fish are people actually consuming how much wild game is actually being consumed and what would that look like if we eliminated hunting and i'm probably totally butchering what he's working on but well the people actually have the facts straight and talk about you know where would the 240,000 deer where would the beef come to replace those deer just killed in minnesota alone yeah like we we don't have that kind of replacement. Mm-hmm. We would at least we don't need have a, a viable lot more food source, right? To and accommodate so, that kind of a need. So, like back to the like main question: How I feel about Griffin Grids? I'm like, man, I freaking love them. <laughs> yeah. I understand the need to like be respectful, but at the same time, I I would hope to walk people through the process of what a huge accomplishment it is to for get some to people. that point. Yeah, to to, to actually accomplish the goal that was placed in front of them whether it was a giant 400 inch bull or it was their first four point i it doesn't matter to me you know i i think it's important to be proud of your accomplishments whether it's in hunting or anything else you know golfing a and doing score. those those are benchmark moments for a hunter right those are accomplishments uh-huh. and there's a lot of work and effort like for me to kill my first fork at horn buck in california on public land was 10 years yeah 11 years yeah you know that's it's a lot invested in that uh-huh you know to be able to achieve that and did you starve like before <laughs> yeah no. Are you starting to know? i mean it's obvious there's there's more there's different ways we can get meat but i i think it's important that i i always tell people i'm like man i wish i could just get everyone to try it once mm-hmm. just to see the difficulty or just to see what it takes to kill something and the sense of reward and accomplishment once it's completed well and then they don't go to costco and and buy a chicken off the counter and not think twice about it being an animal it, it's not a it wasn't grown on a tree it's not a piece of fruit it <laughs> it was just a it, it was a life that you know they took or didn't take but either way they respect it yeah and a lot of people just don't is just take that for granted that's what i mean like did you starve no there's other ways <laughs> there's always other ways but i i think hunters understand life a little bit deeper and they respect like where their food comes there's such a, a deeper more. connection with nature too oh, it's i fantastic. mean you know what for you what's your spiritual experience and connection to being in the outdoors 
what does it do for you mentally and, and spiritually and spiritually I, I i don't take a lot of that into the mountains i i don't rely on my well-being to my prayers um my prayers typically uh revolve around gratitude um how my day went what i got to experience um but mentally um I always tell my girls, like, one of the greatest things you can learn to do for yourself is learn to learn to be alone in your head. Um, I think a lot of people are missing out on that in life. They they go to bed with their earbuds in and music playing, and they don't learn to be at one with their own thoughts because it, it separates you from having to um, be comfortable with who you are. And I think the more you can do that, you know, being alone in the mountains, that's where I work my way through half my issues yeah like it, it, it makes me mentally sound i know who i am i know what i want i know what i'm after i set goals and not just in hunting but i i set my business goals i set my relationship goals with my family i i make plans for the week ahead all while i'm figuring out everything else because you can think a lot when you're hiking 10 miles in a day mm-hmm and that's that's where I find mental health, spiritual health. It, it, it's a whole other thing for me. And it, like I said, it's not really there. That's a gratitude thing for me. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, absolutely. And and getting what I really like that you brought up is is that time alone, and when we're out in the field by ourselves whether it's scouting or on the hunt or you know behind glass whatever it may be how much for me how much decompression comes out of that by being able to sort out all of those thoughts and all of the issues and everything else that's going on in my life while being completely immersed in the outdoors you know and I don't think a lot of people do actually spend that time alone and that solitude you know it's a, I think that's a huge missed thing for mankind as a whole yeah especially more and more these days no I I, I wish a lot more people understood that and and nobody like even you see all these like Instagram pages of people being outdoors and taking pictures and they're never alone as much as being out outdoors is important like it's rare that people get out there and do that on their own and i think they're missing out i think that's a huge part of what we do i think you know getting out there and physically challenging yourself on your own being in the elements being exposed to not just like the elements of rain and snow and cold and wind which we do you know that's why we wear nice gear that's why we do hard things um but we get out and push ourselves like we're exposed to dangers you know there, there's bears there's mountain lions there's whatever and i i don't stress that as much as i do a bad rainstorm <laughs> <laughs> i get it because, well it, like you know i i find myself being more prepared uh for those mid-season hailstorms or you know, keeping a tarp in my pack, those type of things. I I always, I rely heavily on gear, 
more than I do tools to protect me from dangerous animals. But I'm alone a lot, and I think that's the biggest perk. You're exposed, you're susceptible, you're not only thinking of what you're accomplishing for that day, you're being mindful of the things around you. People miss out on that. You're you're not going to find that hike in Zion. You know, there's 10 Europeans in front of you and 20 Japanese guys behind you, and it's it's a different thing. Being, being in the hard places is a lot different. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, cutting through brush. No no trail. There is no trail where we go. Right. There's a mountain. I want to find what's on that mountain. I'm, I'm going to have to get up to the top to start looking. Uh-huh. Or get up high enough for a good a good vantage point yeah to really explore this i ran into down south they do a lot of these like uh, troubled youth survival schools Mm -hmm. which are really cool um do a lot of good things for kids and and not even all of them are for troubled kids some of them are just like take regular people out and teach them how to survive and i talk to a lot of these instructors i i catch them on trail camera and i'll tag them and stuff and posts and whatever (laughs) so i think it's really cool what they do but you know, one one time I ran into one and I, uh, he was like, yeah, "Hike for us with a bit." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going that way. We'll we'll walk up." And me and that guy just sat and talked for a while, and he's sitting in his like flat sandals, like Tevas or something, right? <laughs> like his toes are exposed. There's just a strap going over his foot. And yeah, I don't I don't need gear like that. And I I don't you know what's in your pack? What do you need in that pack that's 40 pounds? I teach you to get by without all that stuff in your pack. And I said, bro, what you and I do are two different trails. Like, I I don't, you'll never catch me on this trail. Had I not been at that water source, you never would have saw me. I don't walk up. I might have seen you, but you never would have <laughs> saw me. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't hunting. I was probably checking a camera or something. Yeah. But, you know, you guys came down to get water into my spot. You realize how careful you had to be walking down in there because you weren't on a trail. You can't wear slippers like that where I go. And what's in this pack keeps me from being exposed all the time. When really it was probably just a bunch of salt and batteries. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that you know, the, it, it made him go, oh, like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do. We stick to these trails pretty heavy. You know, he, he was telling me, he's like, I've been on this trail since the Sandy Ranch, which was almost 40 miles away. Same trail. And he'd just been you know walking forever which is really cool i I like what they do yeah you know and they're they're in their own head they're not listening to headphones there's a couple of them at a time and they're actually like working out their own thought process and i like it just you know don't judge me because i have my crispies on <laughs> right <laughs> instead of some sandals crispy makes a great boot man i love my crispies yeah i got four different pairs and each yeah. pair has its purpose yeah, absolutely i you know what i'm the same way I do, I do the exact same things, it, and it's it's interesting, you know, I, from growing up just wearing. I, I remember wearing my Timberlands, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> and then I got to where I was burning through a pair of Danners and eighty miles, and trying Solomon and trying these, and it, man. Anymore, my my feet are my most precious part of my hike. Yeah, like I'd, I'd rather be in shorts and a tank top than you know with with my crispies on then be head to toe in good gear and some i I mean i guess i want some nikes i won't throw anybody under the bus (laughs) (laughs) so 
back to back to getting involved in elk hunting and your passion redeveloping. I mean, you said when you were a kid that you were out hunting with your grandfather and and stuff like that. And it sounds kind of like, as for me, you kind of disconnected maybe in your teenage years and yeah, you know, went some other routes and did some other alternative activities, which and, all teens do. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's to a T my story. Right. You know. I didn't grow up ranching or anything like that. I grew up in a city and or in a town and the yeah. whole deal. So I completely relatable for me. Um, when you fell back into it, I mean, how did you end up being like, wow, elk, 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 elk? How did you become obsessed with elk? Because I mean, that's, I mean, that's what you have, right? Is a is a deep passion and love for elk, which probably could borderline as somewhat of an obsession. I don't, I don't know. I can't think of one trigger moment other than maybe I just had more successes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do a bunch of hunts on the Henry's early 2000s. What's that like? I mean, I've only, seen, I've only seen photos and, and videos of the Henry's, so the, I can't even. The Henry's are, I mean, you're sitting above Lake Powell. It's nothing but slick rock and brush, and then all of a sudden there's these 12,000-foot mountains. In the middle of the desert floor, it's the craziest place, and the deer are huge fat. They don't get out of bed till 10 in the morning. It's fantastic. Bunch of lazy teenagers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it, all of them are on steroids. I mean, it's it doesn't take much for a five-year-old deer to break two on that mountain. Wow. Which is hard to even comprehend. Yeah. And it's, you know, something with the soil. And it's on the same parallel is the san juan mountains and the boulder mountains which is where i guide and the elk are the same way you can have a six-year-old bull break 350 it, you know if you can get them past that they'll they get a lot bigger but that's probably a difficult task yeah I'd, hunters come out and and it was fun chasing those mule deer was fun but it's not the same as bugling bulls mm-hmm. right and then i think i just i think that's what kind of set the hook right and but then figuring out you know trail cameras for me was a huge huge thing even back then i i remember having the 35 mil flash bulb cameras and usually <laughs> i'd i'd wait two weeks and get back up there and some cow stood in front of it for a day and there was nothing but cow pictures you know but you know once you did get a bull you were like holy crap there's giant bulls right here. This is serious. Yeah, like it, it was kind of a weird deal. Trail cameras really have just been a, like a personal fun thing for me. Mm-hmm. And, and killing them's fun and killing them bugling's fun. I don't personally like the rut, like for trophy hunting, because it's um, hard. Mm-hmm. Like it, you'll call in 20 bulls a day before you get one over 360 and each one is a letdown and it should never be the ruts just fantastic that's fun but when you're trophy hunting man there's nothing more frustrating ever than trying to wait for something that'll break bug yeah so i don't know i I, it's probably a mix of a bunch of things but i i enjoyed we gotta take that away from her (laughs) nope come here she will squeak that in her ear all day. <laughs> Not happening. It's only when I stop throwing it, though. Yeah. <laughs> Not into the dog. No. The stuffed dog. No. 
there it's gone so yeah i don't know i i think that was just that i just something just set a hook and i still I, i've never got sick of it yeah i, I get sick of some of the same trails <laughs> i do because there's a lot of bulls i can't kill and each year i'm like hey he's on my list again we're going after him and some of those trails have just gotten old but i, I never get sick of do they just disappear when it comes season yeah, I mean, just like with anything, elk will go, they'll go completely nocturnal and, and stay that way for a couple months. Mm-hmm. Like, they 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 have their instincts. Like, that's why they live. That's why, they, that's why they're better than us. Because they're definitely not smarter than us. But they have instincts that tell them, you know, when danger's around and when they need to be careful. And, yeah, like, I, I have one bull that, dude... I still haven't got him in the daylight since last July 7th. Really? And I, I mean, I had wintertime pictures of him all through September and October. Um, yeah, I, I can't recall my last day picture of him other than July 7th. And I imagine right now he's probably daylighting again. I, I always get him on a couple of cameras right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure he's fall back into his routine because I'm just... I just got cameras going in that area three weeks ago, maybe four. And so we'll see. But as far as all his winter pictures and everything else, he was still going at night. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. That's but, nuts. But they have their they have their little things, like, and all of them are different. Elk are, elk are funny animals. I, the age class is what throws them off. Um, your younger bulls stay with their cows. Your four to eight-year-olds, they'll bachelor up and they do their things, but most of them get these short routines built on benches, and you can almost time them like a clock. Really? They'll they'll hit one spot, they work up one bench, they come down another, and by day six, they're right back to where they were before. And you'll have cameras following, uh-huh. pretty much following their movement the and whole that's, way around. That's kind of why I do th- what I do, and I'm a little bit different, is because I've learned how to kind of pattern elk. But then as they get a little older, as they break that seven, eight-year-old mold, they they all kind of run different things. Like I, I have one bull that's a ridge runner, just like a Iowa whitetail. He goes up one ridge and down another. And he's really slow, and he goes back and forth because there's wallows on each side of both of those ridges, and he kind of tiptoes his way around. But it's weird because he doesn't run benches like all the other bulls in that area mm-hmm. he's, he's by himself doing his own thing all the time and all of them kind of have weird little ticks but that comes with the age class and that's another reason why i enjoy the upper age class i think it's great it's because it is a little bit harder now how do you how many cameras do you run in an area give or take um, i think i have about 120 cameras going holy on the boulder shit. and I know 60 of them are squared up and running right now. Maybe maybe a little more. I have a couple guys that help me in there. Um, I have a few more here in Utah, just like we have some property in a couple places, and I run some cameras on those. And I have a couple of favorite spots on the Dutton. I still run them. And this year I've got a few baking on the San Juan. But total, I think this year I'll have about 180 going. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> By the time... Yeah. I mean, that's but, major. Well, a lot of them I won't check till next year. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's it's a lot of cameras. 
for sure. It's a lot of miles. Talk about finding a target bull if you wanted to. That's going to be the way to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's it's been fun. I've changed things up. I I try to focus on picture quality a little bit. Like you'll see my my pictures just aren't of a giant bull standing in a meadow. You'll notice like the water center. The, like, certain trees are here. There'll be a big overview look. I've kind of tried to up the photography game a little bit <laughs> <laughs> just to make it a little interesting. But yeah, for the most part, I'm just trying to find patterns. When you always post epic videos of bulls, bulls doing cool shit yeah, and wallows. or And that's a big deal to me. You know. And I, I mostly run those 4K cameras. Like, all those trail cameras are 4Ks. Ah. In fact, I was just texting one of the guys over there. I'm like, we're out till October? You're kidding me. I need 10 more. Oh, no. <laughs> so when you buy 10 That's more a, cameras? Yeah, they'll send me something else. We'll What's your favorite camera to use? I mean, do you have a favorite? Is there like, yeah, I'd, when you're running that many, I imagine you have to have like a... Run the Stealth Cam DS4K cameras. Really? Mm-hmm. And is that, you've just found the best results with that? Well, they, they run both. So they have two lenses and they run video and pictures at the same time so to me i'm getting both best of both worlds in those scenarios um i they have a pretty good battery life if you run lithiums that most of my cameras will run a year Mm -hmm. and if i put in a big enough card and i put in an area where cattle aren't just going to destroy it i'll still have it running when i get in there the next year Mm -hmm. and so that factor alone is worth it for me let alone that there's two lenses and they're doing video and pictures both yeah that's a big deal so how much time do you spend in the field? I mean, it's got to be a monstrous amount of days. That's a lot. Uh, last year, uh, for the one tag, I was in the field for 63 days. And that was just for that one one bowl. We just couldn't get them figured out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I failed. Um, but, I mean, then, you know, I spent a week or two for whitetails. And I think total last probably 80 days last year. Really? Something like that. It's quite a bit. That's crazy. Now, yeah. you're a girl dad. Uh-huh. You have three daughters uh-huh. and a wife. And now that's got to be... Taxing. Taxing. Yeah. You know, how how is that? Like, uh, You just, you have to juggle all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's no time for TV shows. Unless you're watching a TV show with one of the kids. But, you know, I have specific days that we have to set aside time for each kid. Because most of my weekends through the summer months are gone. And then I do, like, my wife's a surf family. Like, we take off and we'll hit Encinitas or San Clemente or something, go surfing for a few days. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. And we do that a lot. We'll take off for a weekend and just load up the kids and go down and surf. And that's good. Mm -hmm. Because my girls, some of them go hiking with me. Two of them shoot bows with me. But the hunting part of it isn't part of their... They're not in it. Yeah, they just don't have a drive for it yet. Yeah. Uh, you know. They might. And that's okay. I'm okay with it. I I want them to just be kids and do their kid things, and it's fun. Does your wife hunt? Uh-uh. Not, no. My, <laughs> she's, uh, but she doesn't mind it either. Yeah. It's just not her thing. I, and it's funny for me as a hunter, right, in my earlier years, I think that I always was like, yeah, man, it'd be great to have a woman that I could go hunting with and, you know, we could live our lives together hunting and blah, 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 blah. And I think now the older that I've gotten, 
and the more that I've been around the hunting industry and, and that it has become my life instead of, you know, looking from the outside in. Yeah. I don't think that I'd ever want to marry a, a, a female hunter. I don't, for me, for myself, like maybe a gal that might want to go out and hunt once a year or something like that. But like to find a woman for me, that's as passionate as hunting as I am. Like, I think that'd be a really difficult relationship for me. I I think it would for anybody. Mm-hmm. I think a good relationship's well-rounded in, in lots of ways. And I think it'd be fine as long as she was going on hunting trips with her friends mm-hmm. and you did your friends. You weren't always together mm-hmm. on those. That's where it would be hard mm-hmm. because those days are going to drag on. You're not going to have things to talk about. And you live with each other. You're going to start bickering about everything. I don't see anything wrong with it. It's just, it wouldn't be for me. I, I like the fact that my wife's into other things and, we, you know, I get to slip out and go to the beach yeah. and be completely immersed in that and love every second of it. What would be your dream family vacation for you guys to go to? Oh. It would definitely be a beach trip somewhere. Like, <laughs> like tropic. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like Hawaii That's, or Fiji? Oh, we we go to Hawaii. Costa Rica? Her, my wife's or? sister lives on North Shore. We go there quite a bit. My sister lives out on the big island. Yeah, yeah. and so we, we do that quite a bit. And honestly, that's our favorite thing to do is to go out there and hang with them. And Isn't Hawaii just such a riveting place? Oh, I love it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. The weather. And she's like on this little farm on North Shore. Like, she's kind of out of Haleiwa towards this airfield. It's mm-hmm. just, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. And she has a flower garden. It's the coolest place ever. That's so cool. It, like, I just, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Like, my ideal time when I'm not in the field hunting or out, you know, scouting or whatever it is that I'm doing in hunting is always, like, a butt, like a nice white linen button-up shirt and some some white linen pants or shorts on a tropical beach somewhere oh yeah you know and i don't know why like how i came to you know white linen i was gonna say the outfit (laughs) (laughs) i don't don't know how i got to that point yeah but like i love tommy bahama Uh i have a ridiculous collection of tommy bahama in my closet yeah and that is like all my tommy bahama stuff is all like you know like yeah tropic white linen you know stuff like that and it's uh, beach life's fun beach life man it is really fun it is fun and it's such polar opposite uh, it's so funny yeah it it is but it's not it's still like a great place to reflect and kind of immerse get along with your thoughts and i i mean surfing's kind of that way unless you're with a big group even when it's you and another guy you spend so much time paddling by yourself you, you sit on your board for 40 minutes waiting for one set to come through like you sit there and think for a while I, I joke all the time I don't know if I've ever said it on a podcast but I've said it to other people like we have surf bums in the hunting industry mm-hmm. these guys that don't get married and all they do is hunting trips and <laughs> like they're, they're total surf bums that's but like they're, me they're in right now. our demographic <laughs> for sure <laughs> I was meeting some of these like YouTube stars but <laughs> oh yeah no that's <laughs> I can make fun I'm not YouTube. a YouTube star but <laughs> But yeah, for sure, like that's there. I'm not married. I don't have really any obligations of being home, so find myself on one week, two week. I I like it because you're not just sitting home being idle. You're I not, can't do that. You're man. not in one of our cities being angry, throwing shit right now. You're yeah. 
you, you you're in your downtime, so you're going around like I mean we discussed some of your last interviews you've been hanging with some of the coolest people on the planet nicest folks dude isn't it crazy such what a cool great life. people dude yeah and you are a surf well. <laughs> <laughs> you know but like you know for uh, for example this last week which are all relationships that I've developed in the last few years and some in the last year um I mean, you know, even, you know, my relationship with you and right. you, we've, we met each other last year and I ran back into you were with Willie at Western and you're like, do you even remember me? And I was like, you used to have a beard, right? Yeah. Cause I, I didn't realize right. that you had yeah. shaved, last tack, I but I, I knew beard. that I knew you <laughs> Yeah. and you know, so, you know, you and Willie and that relationship has, you know, really blossomed, developed in the last six months and, yeah. you know, getting to go around and, and spend quality time not just you know like show time or you know bouncing bouncing yeah. you know one thing and, and all that i mean i guess my whole life is bouncing one thing to the next but you know getting to spend quality time with really good people and uh genuine people yeah is so important well and i i think a lot of our industry is that way mm -hmm. the, the people who really are into what we do really shine through because they all succeed because mm -hmm. they don't give up yeah. a lot of the time you you have guys that fade in and out this is their thing for this amount of time but a lot of the real successful guys like this is what they do this is what they think about all year round and more often than not they are the ones that are spending a lot of alone time they are full of gratitude they they know what it is to struggle yeah and they're fascinating people yeah stay the course man right you know that's a big thing that i always say is stay the course you know it's don't quit before the miracle happens don't you know yeah. give up you know because you never know what's going to happen next it's like you're shooting your cow having those bulls off the <laughs> yeah. yeah day nine dude we were uh and i i get i've told this story three times but i probably haven't told you i've said it i guess people remind me when i say funny stuff in the podcast they text me and they're like you're such an idiot and like, thanks bud but uh we were on the uh sheep capture and we're all talking at dinner and you know everybody's asking me about tattoos because i'm covered in them from uh -huh. my, from my neck to my knees on both sides of my body and they go past your knees bro i Close. know yeah i know I just like to downplay it a little bit at least. <laughs> and uh and uh, we're all sitting there and you know, I mentioned yeah, I've got never settle tattooed on my collarbones, like, you know, pretty much right on my neck and or across my chest or however you want to put it and uh you know I mean without missing a beat, Brendan's like, Never settle, huh? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, but you settled for a cow on day nine and didn't shoot the bull you wanted. And just like, <laughs> like dude, didn't even like. Just dug at you. Dude, there's no hesitation at all. But it was just the most climatic, like a table of 10 guys, including myself. We were laughing as hard as we possibly could. Like, how did he even think of it on like at, yeah. at the snap of a finger? But it was just so funny, you know. Well, then he, he's I not settled. wrong. I said, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. No. <laughs> he called you out, though. <laughs> he called me out. But it's good, though, you know? Yeah. 
No, I like Because what happened? I came off the mountain and found eight bulls that I would have shot. Yeah. That night. Yeah. Fuck. Oh. That's hunting, though. That, no, that's what makes it great. It's a really good cop-out to say really, that's hunting. Really, a lot of way. guys don't get hooked until that moment happens. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys don't understand. I So, like, like we were talking, demand's really high in western states. That you, you know, I mean, Montana kind of... Wyoming, yes. Utah, Arizona, Nevada. Oh, the hot spots. Those states, well, and Colorado's got a couple, that people wait 30 years for their tag. Mm-hmm. It, it's ridiculous. It, it's, that's, th- a lot of guys call me like, this is my one chance mm-hmm. to kill a bull elk. And I'm like, dude, you're crazy. That's why I buy general tags. Go to New Mexico. Go to Montana. Yeah. Like, he, go shoot a bull in Colorado over the counter. Like, it, no, Utah's not your one chance. But in their heads, like this is, you know, I've invested all this time, and here I'm going for a trophy bowl. I'm going to do this, and they they these guys fall apart. They get out on these hunts, and day three, it's like, oh, is it going to happen? Of how many day hunt? And you're like, bro, it, it takes ten minutes. Like we're going to walk into a clearing, and it's done in ten minutes. Like just enjoy the next four or five days. Mm-hmm. Typically, they're like nine-day hunts. Mm-hmm. But they're so wrapped up, and they've waited so long, and they want to be successful so bad. Well, not only that, they want to be successful with the top-quality right. class animal. Right, for what that area is famous to for, produce, right? Yeah. right? And so I, it's hard to, like, it, it's that, like, it's a weird mentality. And it's the guys who have the experience, I shouldn't have shot that cow on day nine because... <laughs> Nine and a half, I would have shot this. Yeah, these give guys, me a mile and a half you know, and two more hours. That you know, if I can get him to just stop and think about it for a minute longer, like that's a three sixty bull. He's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. Any other, any other unit in this state and probably the next state, I would have shot that bull opening morning in the first ten minutes. But we're not in those places. We're here, and this bull. Here's a picture. He's here right now. And it's only day three. Give me a few more days. Relax. <laughs> Enjoy this. You know, it's hard to get that into their heads a little bit. How much pressure does that put on you as a guide? None. Used to. Yeah. I used to feel that quite a bit. Anymore, um, the opportunity always comes. Mm-hmm. At least one. Sometimes multiple on days and days. Opportunity's always there. And so... I've learned to kind of, I don't stress about filling their expectations. They always get filled. It's, I've learned that the guys who do the hard work always succeed. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't even matter that they're doing the hard work on that particular bowl or whatever. They, they always end up finding success somewhere. And so if the desire's there and the people are putting to like willing to put in the legwork, it always comes out and I don't stress about it anymore. It's 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 one of those things any guide will tell you that. Any guide will kind of learn through the years, like, it's going to be what it's going to be. I'm going to stay optimistic and show these guys a good time because mm-hmm. that's, that's what makes the memory. And, and a seasoned guide, you'll see, you'll just enjoy being around them more. There's, it's not high strung. It's not, I've got to do this. I've got to succeed. I've got to, it's like, bro, it's going to come. Like, <laughs> Let's just, you know, let's just laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny deal. I, 
I have this guy he's mutual friends with me and Willie right and he was a client he had bought a tag came out Willie was with me I'd been tracking this bull it's the same nocturnal bull but he was in he was daylighting that year and uh, I'd been on him I was on day 51 or 52 for that year I mean I've been trailing him since July it's September something I mean I'd been on him just all year and I finally get him in it's pretty much a box canyon I mean, it's a little, like there's only one way out maybe two and I can kind of see both of them he comes in it's five o'clock in the afternoon we have three hours till till dark and it's it, big ledges around us 200 foot cliffs all around he starts telling a joke <laughs> and uh he is laughing so hard at his own joke I mean it's just echoing off all the cliffs and I'm like dude I'm on day 50 of this like <laughs> just just keep give me down. two more days let's like, keep it down uh, anymore I've learned to just laugh at the joke because it's just gonna happen or it's not and mm-hmm. just enjoy the moment and enjoy who you're with because that's the biggest part of it yeah. everything else will come together it won't it just does mm-hmm. it's a box canyon he had his chance <laughs> I think he missed, but he had he had his chance. It was fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's good. That's so funny. That had to be a stressful moment too, though. It was. <laughs> I think about it quite a bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and me and Willie, we joke about it a lot. Like that's a that's a big joke for us. Like we. <laughs> but it's just one of those things. It's like man. It, it was better just to laugh at the joke and enjoy that moment than sit and stress about all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Because in all reality, where was that bull going to go? Uh, you know? Yeah. Maybe hole up and go nocturnal again for a couple more days. It, I don't know. It, it, it's been a challenge for sure. But the joke was funny. Good. <laughs> Can you tell her? No. no. Probably not. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> I I could. We would you'll laugh. Have to, we you'll would have to laugh. tell. You'll have to tell me yeah, after this. In a different climate, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> For sure. Man. So. We'll do a dead eye question now. We'll do the Dead Eye question. So Dead Eye Outfitters, I'm sure you're familiar uh-huh. with Dead Eye Outfitters and Brian and Nikolai yeah, and I like the boys. Jason and Chris and the whole team. Uh wonderful guys. You know, just they don't care. Yeah. They're they're in everything for the fun times. Uh-huh. You know, and, and I'm super fortunate that I've been able to work with them for, you know, coming up into two years and or maybe even coming up into three, I'll have to double check. But yeah. um they sponsor a question in every podcast okay so i'm gonna do a style of question that i probably haven't done in a year and then i'll tell you the question that i was almost gonna hit willie with but i totally forgot until right now okay um willie and i kept talking about being addicted to the outdoors and stuff like that you'll get it when i tell you that joke um so if you were placed in a hunting situation and you had to you're going to kill one but you never got to mount it then one you did get to mount 
and one you had to let go and not do anything with it. And you had a tag for each. And it's, you know, a 210-inch Rocky Mountain ram. A 225-inch typical 4x4. Four four. Mule deer? Mule deer. Okay. Or a 430-inch 6x6. So you have to forget one. You can kill one, but you can't mount it. And then you kill the other one and mount it. I forget the mule deer. Mm-hmm. I'd probably kill and not mount the elk and be okay with that. <laughs> Even though that caliber <laughs> is unheard of. It doesn't happen. That's the um, point of the question. Right. Like, we're not living but, in reality here. But the sheep... <laughs> Even it, even below 200 would be, yeah, that would be mounted and not forgot. Hmm. Why? Um, one, because I know who'd be by my side. And that's a big deal to me. Who'd be by your side? Oh, Willie. Mm-hmm. Hands down. <laughs> um, yeah, that that wouldn't that. It, I got a couple friends in the sheep world. Really important to me. Um, he's one of them. Uh, the elk, I've I've killed. I've killed big elk, with guys and myself. But that's my passion. That's why it's more important than the mule deer. The mule deer are awesome. They make for a great picture. In my opinion, the hardest thing about mule deer is finding them. Mm-hmm. Because then it's just a matter of getting the wind right, and it's done. And sometimes it takes one or two or three tries. Uh, my trophy bulls, like trophy trophy bulls, take at least eight stalks. Really? Before success kind of comes through. Um, and so I, I see them a little bit different. I, I have a little more respect for elk than I do mule deer, which I, I offend people with that. And it's probably because my biggest mule deer have all come from the Henry Mountains. I mean, I, I don't kill them on, on over-the-counter units very often. So you guided the Henrys? I, I did you for did. a long time, yeah. And so there's there's a little different respect level there. But uh, the, the sheep would be a huge thing for me because they don't come often. I mean, I, I don't if I remember right, there's 14,000 sheep tags in the northern North America, I think America alone, there's 386,000 elk tags a year. Mm-hmm. Like sheep, sheep are hard to come by, and so that would be important to me, especially knowing who'd be there with me and seeing it all go down, sharing the experience. Yeah, would be cool. How important is the experience of the hunt for you? That's everything. I, I've learned that a lot of these, a lot of these big elk go down, and it's either it's either glory. And and just camaraderie and fellowship that you've never seen. Like there's these bonds that just get built forever. The mountain forges a I, lot. I can call guys that I killed three ninety bulls with in the nineties that like I mean they're just we're still tight. We can talk about anything, ask about how the kids are doing, blah blah blah. But I've also had experiences where you know, I I killed a bull with a lady, and I mean, she just hates my guts. 
she was mad that it wasn't 400. It was a 380-something bowl. It, it just wasn't what she wanted. And it's ridiculous that a bull of that caliber would ever be looked down on. It's ridiculous she didn't come to the hunt with the right attitude and just enjoy the moment. Because she didn't. The second the bull died, she left. And put me in a tight spot. It was a weird deal. Um, and I've only had one or two of these. But I've just learned that the experience, the the ability to make people laugh and enjoy the moment and be there, you can get them to be there, that's way more important than anything else. Because mm-hmm. even if it's not, it's day nine and they killed the 350 bull that was just there every day, it was the best nine days of their life. Mm-hmm. And it, that's way more important. Yeah. So... <laughs> Man, she thinks she's tough. Yeah, <laughs> until I knock on the door. <laughs> that's probably what she's barking at. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's a big deal. I I think it's important to be there and enjoy the people you're with and try to enjoy the moment, not the 20 years it took to get the tag. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's just better to just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Those, those opportunities, I, I mean, they're rare, but they'll still come. I've had multiple guys show up at camp like this is my once in a lifetime elk tag. Then I've seen those guys turn around and kill an awesome bull in Montana or Wyoming or something else. And I was like, see, it wasn't once in a lifetime. Like it's there. Mm -hmm. You you can do it again. But that's a weird mentality Mm -hmm. in 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 what we have here. And and I see things having to change, and it might get harder. You know, because if you look at statistics now. Um, to get a trophy elk tag as a non-resident, like you coming to Utah, right? You will never get a Boulder Mountain elk tag. One, you're under the point creep, which is like 12 or 13 years now. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, your son that, say you had a son that turned 12, dude, he, he's going to be under the point creep his whole life. He doesn't even have an opportunity. Like, how's that going to encourage our sport to continue when no non-residents even want to put in because they don't have a chance, Yeah. not in 10 lifetimes, to even come out here and go? And so things will change like they've got to or our sport isn't going to continue doing what it's doing. But, you know, I think when you do get those chances, just enjoy the people you're with. You know, and when people call me for a guide job, I'm like, huh? I'm busy, but here's three guys. Call them all. Well, which one do you say is the best? I'll just call him. No, call all three. Talk with them. Like, see who you enjoy because you're going to have to spend nine days with them. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure, like, you guys are cohesive because you want to have a good time. Yeah. Oh, that's good advice. I'll, I'll call that guy. I'm like, yeah, call all three. Sort it, sort it out. They're all good. So I, that's a big deal. Man, it'd be cool to kill a 430-inch six-point, though. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a big fucking bull. <laughs> yeah, it would. <laughs> so do you, do you want the funny question yeah. that I didn't ask? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. So you have, like, drug addicts and alcoholics, right? Uh-huh. They're They're what to drugs? They're addicted, it's right? Addictive, yeah. Right. So you have, like, people that drink too much... You know, everything like that, you know, what are they? Alcoholics. They're addicted, right? They're, yeah, yeah. Right? You have people that love the outdoors to the level that you and I love the outdoors, and they're 
Just cool as shit. And addicted, oh, right? Oh, okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. So what hit your hand last night? Hit your hand? Yeah. Flew over your head. Addicted. Addicted. Yeah, it flew over my head. I yeah. lost it. It's okay. Everybody that's listening will get it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'll explain it to you later. I need to explain it to you now. And then later you'll be like, yeah, we're going to take that part out of the podcast. <laughs> nah. Um, <laughs> it takes a lot more than that to embarrass me. <laughs> Good. Good. That's, that's what I like to hear. Right? Well, I mean, I like to embarrass myself a lot. Yeah. You know, like... I've noticed that you're pretty comfortable with who you are. Yeah, like, I like that. Yeah. You know, I told someone the other day who was I talking to? I can't remember who I was talking to, but I told them the other day I was a season ticket holder for the San Francisco Ballet, and they were like, "What? You were, you did what?" Because I love I love going to the ballet. I love uh-huh. I lo- you know ballet, symphony, orchestra, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, they were like, "As a man, you did that," and I was like, "Yeah," because I don't care. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, what? you want to know what's fun? Take a girl to her first ballet and watch what happens. Huh. I, I've done that. I don't know if it was life changing. It was daughters, though. My wife likes that. I don't Take know. Take them to I'd... the San Francisco Nutcracker during the holidays if you ever can. See, I'd see that. I wouldn't feel bad about that. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful experience. There's some, there's a lot of ballets I don't think I could go to, though. Mm-hmm. Swan Lake? amazing yeah oh yeah okay yeah but for me i'm completely comfortable with my my masculinity and everything i do in my life like well why wouldn't you be that i could that i that that it's okay for me to admit that ballet ain't no the ballet ain't no thing i can do that that's good dude it's it goes back to the same conversation man once you can learn to be comfortable in your own skin Mm -hmm. you know who you are you don't stress about all the stuff. Like, crack jokes at me. That's that's okay. <laughs> like, I, I'm okay. You, like, and if you know me, you're gonna be okay with it too. Like, hey man, for someone who's bombing in train yards, like, you're a durable <laughs> human being. And I know that from the moment you told um, me you were straight edge and it, yeah, all about I've it. Done some stupid shit in my life. <laughs> we we haven't we both. Yeah, you know. I hope everyone does. I I I I'd hate to know people that are living the straight and narrow and can't see life. anything else other than that well I, I know people like that i mean i you see that in utah quite a bit mm-hmm. to be honest and it's it's sad you know as much as i stress about my kids making bad choices i still want them to make bad choices mm-hmm. every now and then mm-hmm. i just hope they learn from it Disclaimer, though, if they're listening to this, don't make bad choices. My kids are (laughs) no, I'm making a joke. I'm making a joke. You know, but it's important to make those bad decisions. It it makes you better as a person. It makes you more relatable and understandable to other people. Yeah, and more open-minded. Right. You know. Right. Mistakes are good things. The amount of mistakes I've made in my life is (laughs) long. I'm very happy that. I'd say 90% of the mistakes I made were prior to stopping drinking, which I stopped drinking when I was 19. So that's, you know. That's pretty early. Yeah, I stopped early. It's kind of it's needed for my survival. <laughs> I was not drinking myself to a good place. Drinking for oblivion is, is terrible. Yeah. Terrible. I, you know, I, I see those mistakes. I And as hard as they are, 
like you, when you see people come out of it mm -hmm. typically you know I'm still praying for my daughter but <laughs> <laughs> typically you see them become just better they're more comfortable with who they are they understand things they need to stay away from and things that make them better mm -hmm. and they dive deeper into the things that make them a stronger person yeah. and so like I said I I hate watching like my kids go through it but at the same time I, I don't want them to be a black and white mm -hmm. this person's good this person's bad I never want that from my kids I, I want them to hear everyone's story and laugh at it so yeah have a good understanding of it yeah right for sure right on man how can people look you up what's what's all your your social medias and here i've kind of i i do the auto posts on facebook i don't respond to them much mm -hmm. like a platform i don't do youtube i keep my instagram going because that one gets the most exposure mm -hmm. and as far as like people that support me that's where they get see the most notice and so I I like keeping that one going. So probably like that platform's the best. A lot of the ones I've kind of really shied away from. Mm -hmm. um, but even Instagram lately sucks. It, dude, it just seems like they're ratcheting down more and more on us. It's it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. I I don't know if like a new platforms needed or. I don't know. I always find it funny when hunters are like, we need a platform that's only for hunters. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's ideal. But at the same time, like, how are we going to pick up new people for hunting if our platform is only for Dude, outdoors? Dude, all and... hunters hate all the other hunters. It's just, you walk around those expos and it's a bunch of alphas with their chests out. The last thing I want is an app full of other hunters, you know? But yeah. Uh, it would it there's would so be much nice. ego in the hunting industry it's oh, ridiculous it, there is and you know some of it's merited mm -hmm. <laughs> but some of it definitely there yeah some yeah. of it definitely is for sure i'll but agree with that there's a you know i there's something to be said about you know we're not going to grow as a sport if we're exclusive to each other or if we're assholes at trailheads to people that are showing up right because we're an instagram celebrity and we hunt this trailhead and only we can hunt this trailhead and no one else can hunt it stop following my truck around bro mm -hmm. hunt the front <laughs> sorry <laughs> well that's a that's a joke with me and the, the meekums yeah hunt the think, front bro i think i know where you're at with it too <laughs> it's i don't know it i like having a it would be nice to just have a unpolitically biased platform mm -hmm. what what instagram was before facebook was meddling ideal. in it that's how ideal. i came up with my instagram account the the game over um i totally loved instagram when it first started uh -huh. um, and it was just instagram and at that point in my life i'd completely deleted and eradicated facebook which was like at that time to permanently delete a Facebook account was extremely difficult. Yeah. And the way that I came about wanting to, when I started really paying attention to um, internet presence by Google searching a name, Yeah. I was in the Dispatch account Academy for 911 Dispatch because a long time ago that was my dream job. And uh, one of the things that they brought up was when we research you, we look at your social media. We look at the people who you associate with 
and who are on your Facebook because it was pretty much just Facebook at the time. Uh-huh. And we find out who's felons and who's affiliated with what and, you know, all different kinds of stuff. Like they run people down, check it out and yeah. see who they're allowing into the enforcement community, um, even at the dispatch level. And uh, me being at the time a sober member of a 12-step program, um, you, I, not you, I, um, spent a lot of time with people that were freshly out of prison uh-huh. and, you know, uh, maybe didn't make the best life choices. The only difference between my life choices and theirs was I never went to prison and I had acquired some sobriety, you know, but they'd be my friends on Facebook. Well, now for a law enforcement community to come in and look at that and see some of the people probably yeah. you know especially in the bay area wasn't wasn't a good thing so i was like well i'm just gonna delete this completely i don't even want it linked to my life uh-huh. so i did and then facebook bought instagram and when facebook bought instagram i was like well i'm done with instagram too now because of how much i just was not a fan of zuck and uh you couldn't permanently delete your instagram in any way shape or form at the time maybe you can now but you couldn't back then so i just changed my title to game over instagram you know game over ig uh-huh. and then when i after shortly after that i got into a four-year relationship with a gal who i almost married that didn't work out so when that ended i was like i'm gonna get back on social media and only post hunting stuff it's like 2015 or 16 and and it's 2015 the summer of 2015 and uh I was like, I'm not going to change my name because I just don't care. Uh-huh. And people always ask me that, and I figure I'll just let everyone know <laughs> and you at the same time. Just waiting for Elon Musk to buy us out and just close it all down. <laughs> could you imagine? He could, too. <laughs> I I don't know that it would be a horrible thing. It probably wouldn't. <laughs> you know, I got what I wanted out of it a long time ago. Yeah. You know, I I remember thinking, like, it's a platform get a li- my name out get a little respect from blah 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 and I I remember thinking three or four years ago I'm good yeah. I got what I wanted out of a long time ago so I always look at that and think that'd be kind of sweet because yeah. something else would come up yeah and it would be unpolitically tampered with for four or five years and then you know something else would dive into it but I think that machine's got to go I, I think it something has to change because yeah. the fact that you know the top X companies are all in charge of search engines and ninety percent of anything that we see and they're all politically biased and slanted in one direction and are anti-gun and anti-hunting and anti all this stuff and they can control through algorithms the exposure of one thing or the other and say that this lifestyle is bad and only this lifestyle is okay. That's fucked. Yeah. That is absolutely... Oh. That's a dictatorship. If And if no one wants to look at it that way, 100%, that's what that is. Oh, I was going to say, if you want freedoms, that's not freedom. That's, it's not. It's not America at all. It's not. Yeah. So, it, and if it takes people like Elon Musk and Donald Trump to come in and shake things up... Shake it up. Shake it up. Shake it the fuck Cause, up. Because in all reality, the people who work the hardest are the ones who float to the top at the end anyway. Mm-hmm. Even if it's all shook up. Mm-hmm. Dude, if you're made of metal, you sink to the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's going to be. So, I like, if people that don't have things to hide, I, I think we should all 
be all for shaking things up. Mm-hmm. Let's get rid of that. Let's. I th- I think it doesn't need to be done with destroying property and burning Normal buildings and like, businesses. Right? Like, Look, I'm. Oh God, do I want to rant? Do I? Oh, this could be terrible. Um, I just don't understand how we come out of coronavirus, which has slayed the world's economy to its knees. The world's economy, not just our economy, right. the fucking world's economy. Yeah. Slayed. This isn't America's problem. It's a, this it's has crushed everybody. Everybody. Right. You know, and, and then you go around and, and you look at the mom and pop businesses that have been in business for 40 or 50 years and slow rent increase and all this other stuff and they've managed to get by and continue on and keep going and then you look at that's all going away the a lot of those businesses will not recover Uh and the ones that maybe could have recovered now their buildings are being burnt down now their stores are being burnt down now their livelihoods are being stripped out from underneath them because in my opinion um, politicians are playing a very serious game. I don't, I don't think that's opinion. To anyone who's done the research, that's fact. You know what I mean? And and they're playing a very serious game in shutting down one direction. You know what I mean? And and it's it's insane to me to see people support a lot of what people are supporting. Like it's very hard for me growing up in Marin County in San Francisco, Bay Area, California looking at my stories and looking at my feed and seeing people calling for death to police officers and people calling for defunding the police and not understanding what the repercussions of those actions could could mean you know that's a terrifying place that we're in as a nation right back to where we were half hour ago people aren't walking the whole process through they're not thinking about you know how this is going to happen i i don't know if you listen to rogan's podcast podcast with Jocko I haven't listened to it yet fantastic Jocko's point just saying our our police needs more funding they need more education they need more training so that things like this don't happen can be eliminated he's like man within in in a terrorist situation people get swallowed up and and you get in the middle of a bad situation like that guy was on that guy's neck Mm -hmm. but but in a well-trained off the uh soldier's mind they recognize, okay, he's in a bad place. Hey, soldier, let me take over. You need to go decompress for five minutes. Yeah. I got him. Yeah. And that's all that would have took. Yeah. And everything would have shifted gears. Like, these guys need more training. They need more money. We don't need to defund them. We need help. We need to yeah. infiltrate. We've got to show our kids these are the good guys, so they'll be cops. Because right now, who's Nobody be I know wants to be a police officer. Oh, no, it's so scary. And, and these people, like... They, I have officers right here in my community, right here where we're sitting, that yeah, I'm scared for them. I'm scared for their kids. Yeah. It's crazy. They Especially if their locations were ever to be made public somehow. Right. You know? Yep. That's terrifying. 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 And not not for my family. I'll be fine. But they're f- for theirs. Because mm-hmm. we care about them. That's ridiculous. Because they're our friends. They're our brothers. They're our siblings. They're our cousins. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, all encompassed, dude. They're... And especially, I would say, within the hunting community, there's probably a lot more people that are um, family-connected or, or friendship-connected oh, into, you know, the LEO community. But it's a terrifying place where we are. Yep. It's terrifying. And watching it unfold, man, and I, like, dude, getting into the mountains or, you know, like this trip for me, getting to unplug from everything, I haven't paid attention to the news. 
people are calling me telling me coronavirus is spiking and this and that and like yeah of course coronavirus is spiking we just came out of fucking three weeks of non-stop rioting yeah. thousands of yeah. people coming together oh it's terrible nobody can meet in groups larger than 10 we can't do this stay six feet apart okay riots get that shit everybody yeah. go fuck everything up here's here's and the it's okay <laughs> You know, like, come on, man. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, I'm fucking sorry. <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> I, everyone's thinking about it. I, I think the more people talk about it, and yeah. the more people walk the process through, mm-hmm. the more uh, common knowledge things are going to come across. Yeah. You know, the, the more it's going to make sense to the people who want to keep a blind eye it's going to surface like, oh, maybe this is going on. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is really how things are. we got to change. And the quiet masses are going to step out and stop the silliness. Yeah. But well, then follow the money, man. Follow where the money's a, going. Always a paper trail. Follow where the money's going. Yep. Find a solution, follow where the money's going, then you figure out why so much money's being thrown one direction while they're trying to shut down a different direction's entire platform. You know? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? How much? How good are you on time? All right? I'm good. Okay. So what is your perception of social media hunters and social media hunting and the popularity that it has become? I would even beg to say the rat race that has become the outdoor industry of social media. <laughs> uh, I think... <laughs> Dude, it, it's just like anything. Everyone's got a different kind of spice. Mm-hmm. And it, it goes almost along with the same lines that, dude, I got no problem with long-range guys, muzzy guys. Hunting needs all of them to succeed. I, yeah. I still think the same thing about insta-famous hunters. Uh, that, dude, it, a lot of these guys are not giving up. They're staying the course. Yeah, They're doing their thing. They're being successful and... You know, Eric Chester's one of them. People hate Eric Chester, mm-hmm. right? I know Eric Chester. I've known Eric Chester for 10-plus years. Dude, he's a good person. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't slander anybody. He's he's just Eric, He and he hasn't changed. He's the exact same person he was back then. He's just, you know, changed his platforms and sold things different ways and done whatever. Dude, I look at the line at the expos of little kids wanting to meet this guy lines and it fascinates me lines like i I remember just walking by i I think i had a i think i was walking one of these bulls out i had on display he's like right i gotta see it come over and i hand him the big shed or whatever it was and he's checking it out and we're sitting there talking we're talking for like five minutes and he hands it back he's like bro i gotta get back to this and i'm like what I turn around, there's like 40 people behind me in line wanting to get pictures with him. I'm like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry, <laughs> you know. But, the like, you think about how many minds that's turned to hunting, how many kids who think that what, Being we, a positive what role we do model. is something cool. And, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think there's shame to some of the things I see. There's some silliness that... I like seeing some of the hater pages call out because they're silliness, right? <laughs> Making hunting great again is phenomenal. Dude, he is so funny. <laughs> I, I I wish he wouldn't attack people on a on personal level. Not meaning 
calling out a person, but calling out attributes they can't change. Making fun of someone for being short isn't okay with Mm -hmm. me. Making fun of somebody's, like, features on their face, there's nothing they can do about that. They can... Making fun of them sitting in a tree sling with an acubo, that's pretty funny. <laughs> I, I like it. I, I think there has to be some accountability in the silliness because it makes our community look bad. Yeah. I, I, you know, but it's, I just don't care. I'm like, dude, I, everything has a different kind of spice and I like it all. Yeah. I, without one, I, I wouldn't enjoy the other. I, I wouldn't, I'd roll my eyes at some of those posts, but I wouldn't laugh if that guy's page wasn't there. So, yeah, that's cool, too. But, the, you know, I, I think there's a place for everything, and I just learn not to stress about it. Mm-hmm. Enjoy everything about everybody. And, dude, like, like you said before, the real people surface. They just do. Mm-hmm. They're still there, whether, whether they're bums, and that's all that means anything to them, or they're, it's a, just a different part of their life. Mm-hmm. If, if they love it, they're freaking going to shine. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Absolutely. So I don't stress about them. Right on, man. Well, we'll end on that. All right. Sound good? Yeah. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Dude, I'd love to have you come down. Yeah. Drove all the way to Montana to come see me. Yeah. Sweet. Well, from Montana to Salt Lake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from California to Montana to Salt Lake. Yeah. It's Did all you? part of the process, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. good. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.